Uh, and so, all right, Father, we're, we're grateful again for this opportunity to look into your word. We ask that you'll take this time and, and build us up uh, in our faith uh, as only you can do. So we consider history because that's what's involved here. And yet it's all not just history, it's truth. Truth of, of when you make a prophecy, it will come to pass. And there's many prophecies yet to come to pass. And we look forward to, to many of those uh, as we will be not necessarily participants as much as able to watch your honor and your glory and your power and your majesty in all this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are starting at verse 7 of Nahum chapter 3. And we'll read down a few verses and then and then come back and comment on them. I'm reading out of the New King James. And it shall come to pass that all they that look upon thee shall flee from thee. Say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Whence shall I seek comforters for thee? Art thou better than populous no, that was situate that was situate among the rivers that had the waters round about it, whose rampart was the sea, and her wall was from the sea. Egypt, Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was infinite. Put and Lubin were thy helpers. Yet was she carried away, and she went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed in pieces at the top of all the streets. And they cast lots for her honorable men. All her and all her great men were bound in chains. Thou also shalt be drunken, thou shalt be hid, thou shalt shalt thou also shalt seek strength because of the enemy. Are thy strongholds like fig trees with the fig stripe figs? If they are they be shaken, they shall even fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold, thy people in the midst of thee are women. The gates of thy land shall be set wide apart, wide open unto thine enemies. The fire shall devour thy bars. Draw thee waters for the siege. Fortify thy strongholds. Go into clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. There shall the fowler devour thee, the sword shall cut thee off, and it shall eat thee up like the canker worm. Make thyself many as the canker worm, make thyself many as the locust. Thou hast multiplied thy merchants above the stars of heaven. The canker worm spoileth and flieth away. Thy crown are, thy, are the locust, and thy captains as the great grasshoppers which camp in the hedges of the cold day. With, when the sun ariseth, they flee away, and their place is not known where they are. Thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria, thy nobles shall dwell in the dust. 
thy people are scattered upon the mountains, and no man gathereth them. There is no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the brute of thee shall clap the hands over thee. For upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually? It's interesting when we consider, and if hopefully you got your the paperwork I sent out near you, uh, we're going to consider a minute the map of Assyrian conquest. I want you to look at it and see. Now, we don't know exactly how long it took, but when you look at Nineveh and then you follow the arrows around, and when you come to Arpad, you see the number 854. And from 854, you come down to Damascus. And that was, uh, let's see, that would be uh, 70, uh, two years. So it took them 72 years to come that far. And which was also about the time that they also conquered uh, Israel. And then another uh, 31 years down toward Jerusalem. And then from Jerusalem to the Memphis area in Egypt is uh, 71 years. So you see that they're stretching themselves out farther and farther from Nineveh. And that just happened to be looking uh, at a, a YouTube video this week. And back in the 60s, they tested landing a C-130 onto an aircraft carrier. Well, why? Because at the time, the C-1 cargo plane could only hold so much. And in order to, to bring supplies and, and machine parts and stuff like that, it would have taken a lot of trips. Plus, the C-1 was very limited in distance that it could fly whereas the C-130 would carry a lot, a lot more weight. And they were able to actually land the C-130, but it's all about logistics. When you stop and think of this map, what you're looking at here as they spread out, the farther they went from Nineveh, the harder it was for logistics. The, the, back then especially, you know, today we can pick up the telephone or we can zoom over the internet like we are now and, and convey ideas or thoughts. We can speak with each other. But back then they would have to write it down on papyrus and send it back. And it would be months before they got a response back. Weeks at least, if not months. But the farther they went, they were greedy. This is the thing when you stop and think about it. It seemed like they had no desire to go west. I mean, east, I should say, east into media. But they went west because that's where the power of those days were, Egypt. 
and some of these other places, Syria, uh, the government in Damascus, uh, and little poor little Jerusalem and Judah. They just got caught up on the way, and yet there was a lot of wealth there in Jerusalem. And yet, as we mentioned last week, Hezekiah stripped that wealth and sent it off in payment. And then we come to the verses we have before you. You know, and just consider Nahum standing on the street corner, probably in Jerusalem, possibly, possibly out in the country where people would gather. And he cries out saying, and this is what the Lord said earlier. Uh, and I did say this was New King James. It's not. It's the King James. But in verse 5, it says, uh, these, these are what saith the Lord of hosts. So these are still words from the Lord. In verse 7, and it shall come to pass that all that look upon thee shall flee from thee and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? When shall I seek comforters there? There's coming a time, Nahum is, is proclaiming, saying that, that nobody's going to go to Nineveh. You know, correspondence isn't going to go there to look for, for help or for guidance in, in how to govern these people that have been conquered. No comforters are going to go there. Why? Because Nineveh is going to be laid waste. Then we come to verse 8. Art thou better than populous No, that was situate among the rivers that had the waters round about it, whose rampart was the sea and her wall was from the sea? If you look at your map and find the Nile River there in Egypt and come down from Memphis, you see the river kind of flows to the, toward, as it's flowing north through this, but we're going to head south. It kind of bows out toward the west and then goes through a little bit. And then it makes a sharp turn on the east toward the Red Sea. That is where Thebes was located, or No. Another na name was No Amon. It had several names for this populous No. And uh, I'd like to, to just read a little bit about that, um, if, you, if you were to look up Thebes in Wikipedia, uh, you find one for Greece and one for Egypt. This is the one for Egypt. And this time period we're, we're looking at here, where it has actually taken place, was considered the late period. And it reads, in 667 BC, attacked by the Assyrian king Ashurbanipal's army, Taharqa abandoned Lower Egypt and fled to Thebes. Okay, this was the uh, ruler. Uh, Taharqa was the ruler in, in Egypt, and he fled to Thebes, hoping that the Assyrians would not follow, uh, trying to preserve his life. But three years later, he died, and his nephew took over. Uh, 
They invaded Lower Egypt and laid siege to Memphis. But once he conquered the country, uh, or they actually they, this this one group came up and and to Memphis uh, in 663 BC, and then they retreated southwards. The Assyrians pursued him and took Thebes, whose name was added to a long list of cities plundered and destroyed by the Assyrians, as Ashurbanipal wrote. This city, the whole of it, I conquered it with the help of Ashur and Ishtar, silver, gold, precious stones, all the wealth of the palace, rich cloth, precious linen, great horses, supervising men and women, two obelisks of splendid electrum weighing 2,500 talents, the doors of temples. I tore from their bases and carried them off to Assyria. With this weighty booty, I left Thebes. Against Egypt and Cush, I have lifted my spear and shown my power. With full hands, I have returned to Nineveh in good health. Thebes never regained its former political significance, but it remained an important religious center. The Syrians installed Pesamtik uh, I, who ruled from 664 BC to 610 BC, who ascended to Thebes in uh, 656 BC and brought about the adoption of his own daughter. Um, I'll stop there. The rest doesn't really mean much. It, Thebes just, you know, yes, people were there. There was a religious center. But as far as a, a major power goes, uh, it was nothing. It was nothing. And they, they tore the city part. You know, they, they just rampaged through it all and, and, and tore up the buildings leveled them out. They did leave the, the temples that were there. But uh, as far as the city goes and the people, they were either killed or scattered or taken back to Assyria. And uh, that was populist no. And this is how we can, you know, um, Nahum's saying this in the past tense. So this helps us to relate when Nahum was written by the fact of, of, of this. So somewhere around, you know, this was written around somewhere around, say, 640 BC, which is kind of midway uh, in here. And, you know, when we stop and think, the Lord is saying, continues on, Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was infinite. Can you can you see the sarcasm there on the Lord's part? Yeah, and it was infinite. Yeah, now they're just laid waste. Yeah, uh, put and lube them were thy helpers. Well, that didn't help any, did it? <laughs> I can just I can just see the Lord now. You know, Nineveh, you think you're so great. You think you've got all these allies. You think you've got all this army. <laughs> we'll see who has the last laugh. 
uh, so to speak, with the Lord. Not that, not that he's laughing that they're going to be destroyed. I'm not saying that. But the fact that they were counting upon themselves to save themselves. And, and too often that happens with people we meet. You know, one thing you might point to. If they say, oh, I don't need the Lord. Well, let me show you something in Nahum here. You might not consider this very important, but, you know, there was a great city, Nineveh. They thought they were so great that nobody would conquer them. Even Thebes thought it would not be conquered and see what happens. Uh, anybody got anything they want to add to it right now? Ralph, this is Steve. I would only say just to kind of underscore what you've already portrayed very well is that the the destruction of um, by the Assyrians of Thebes was uh, a particularly cruel destruction. Uh, I, I had not read what you reported that they, they left the temples up, which is interesting, but the rest of the city was just so cruelly destroyed that... <clears throat> It, you know, the devastation must have been just horrible. And as you say, this was a city that was convinced uh, no one can destroy us. <laughs> yeah, they, they found themselves, you know, if you consider the loop of, of the Nile there, they thought, oh, you know, we've only got to basically protect one side. <laughs> we got the big river Nile on our on three sides of us. <laughs> That doesn't help. You know, when when something's going to be destroyed, it's going to be destroyed. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll continue on to verse 10 then. Yet was she carried away. Talk, still, I think still talking about no or Thebes. Yet was she carried away, she went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed in pieces at the top of all the streets. And they cast lots for her honorable men. And all her great men were bound in chains. And this is a warning. Keep in mind, this is a warning, not just for thieves, of what or what took place at thieves. This is a warning about Nineveh. Nineveh? You are unrepentant. This is what's going to happen. You laughed in the face of, the, of Jehovah, the Lord, you know, the almighty, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent God. Why? Because the people of Judah had turned from, from following after him in such a way that, that God had to let them be conquered. Nineveh, you had your opportunity to repent. You repented and lasted many more years than just the 30 days. But now your turn is coming. Verse 11, they also shall be drunken. Thou shalt be hid. Thou also shalt seek strength because of the enemy. 
All thy strongholds shall be like fig trees with the fig first ripe figs. I think I read that first stripe. It's first ripe figs. If they be shaken, they shall even fall into the mouth of the eater. You can kind of picture that, can't you? Um, we, I haven't been around too many fig trees, but uh, I've seen other trees that, that, you know, once the root, the fruit really gets ripe, you can just shake the branch and it comes right off. Uh, I've never had the opportunity to stand under one that where you'd eat like a, you know, something where you get grapes or something else and shake it and have the fall in my mouth. That'd be neat, wouldn't it? Without having to do any work, I can eat. Yeah. That was, here's the attitude they had. Oh, I'm strong, but I don't have to do anything. It almost brings to mind, I hate to say it, uh, our country. And many people have the attitude, why should I work? Why should I work when the government's going to support me? All I got to do is just hang around. And that was kind of their attitude here. And uh, also, verse 13, uh, Behold, thy people in the midst of thee are women. The gates of thy land shall be set wide open unto thine enemies. The fire shall devour thy bars. You know, they, Nineveh probably felt very safe to those that live there. Oh, we've got the army that, that's conquered all this territory. Who's going to come up against us? Why do we need to close the gates? Why do we need to fortify areas? Well, main reason is because once you get complacent like this, you no longer have a watchman up in the watchtowers looking out. What was strongholds? Guess what? They're not strongholds anymore. All they are is something to admire from a distance. And uh, if nobody is in the watchtower looking out, watching for the enemy to come, guess what? It can be easily <laughs> conquered. So when we and, and stop and think at that time, you know, iron was being made. And so they would uh, utilize these in areas that, that they didn't necessarily want to open up all the time, especially, say, for water. They wanted the water to flow, but they wouldn't, didn't want to make any way of people to come through that way. So they, and, and if, if we remember Babylon, when it got conquered, what did they do? Well, they, they built, they barred the area where the, they put bars up where the area where the water would come into the city, but only down a little bit below the water level. So what happened? They drained, they, they rerouted the water 
and we're able to come under the wall under those bars. Verse 14, draw thee waters for the siege, fortify thy strongholds, go into clay and tread the mortar, make strong the brick kiln. In other words, destruction is coming. You have time to prepare, you know, lay up water, lay up food for a siege. Fortify those areas that you think need to be fortified, take clay and, and make it strong, you know, harden it, make bricks out of the clay, and place, put it in place. And yet, what does scripture say? Well, it continues on, verse 15. There shall the, fower, the fire devour thee. The Lord shall cut thee off it shall eat thee up like the canker worm. Make thyself many as the canker worm. Make thyself many as the locust. You know, one of the things that the people, even today, fear, farmers especially. You know, we, we think of uh, our, our citrus crop is facing has faced for many years now. Um, and now I'm, I'm drawing a blank of what it's called. Um, they haven't found a, a cure for it, uh, but it kills, kills the trees. It deforms the fruit and, and just kills the trees. Uh, does anybody help me out with this? Oh. So is that citrus canker? Citrus canker. Yeah, well, that's one. That's one of them. It's the other thing. Um, greening. Greening. Now I don't know. There's there's a an abandoned grove south of camp here, and I don't know if that's what got into it or not. But it was very interesting to watch the fruit. Uh, the top top of the fruit. And I'm not sure this is what greening is all about, but the top of the fruit would get nice and orange, whereas the bottom half would stay green, never really fully developed into a good tasting orange. But greening, yeah, citrus canker is the other one. You know, how do you get rid of it? They have to actually tear up all the trees and not carry them away. They have to burn them in place. They have to dig up the roots. They have to make sure that the soil is, is, is just neutralized completely uh, before they can replant citrus in there. But greening, unfortunately, they have not found a cure for it yet. But uh, also locusts, uh, we think of uh, in our history of locusts that would go through the wheat fields and just literally devastate them. You're, you're hoping, you're hoping for a good crop. And then all of a sudden you wake up the next morning and it's all laying on the ground for it even got a chance to be mature because the locusts came through the grasshoppers. That's how 
this army that's going to come and take care of uh, Nineveh, that's what they're going to look like. You know, uh, they're going to come in. Keep in mind, Nineveh, uh, I'm down to verse 16 now, as it continues, thou hast multiplied like merchants above the stars of heaven. Nineveh had several rivers, and by way of large canals, uh, they had access to Babylon. It was, it was a great route uh, for trade of the west and northwest of that city. Uh, on the Tigris River, it had access to the sea. And uh, even the Phoenicians carried its wares everywhere by use of this water. So the, the merchants are there, and yet those same uh, avenues is what's going to bring an army in and take care of this city, this great city, Nineveh. Um, verse 17, they, they, they crowned are as the locusts, my captains, as the great grasshoppers. They, you know, the princes and the king's nobles, you know, they, they all wore the ti tiara. You know, they would walk down the road and you'd see them. Oh, look at us, how great we are. And yet when the time came, guess what? They couldn't help themselves, let alone the inhabitants of Nineveh. You know, they might have been great. They're like grasshoppers. They can be stomped on, but they keep, you know, they, they're of no use when it comes to protecting their city. They're like a camp, they, you know, and they, they hide about in the, the hedges of a cold day. You know, when the sun arises, they flee away. Their place is not known where they are. You know, they might, oh, yes, we're going to protect you. We're going to protect you. Don't worry. Next thing you know, they're, they're just, they scattered trying to protect themselves. Forget about protecting the people. Even the shepherds in verse 18, they are asleep. You know, thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Thy nobles shall dwell in the dust. Thy people is scattered upon the mountains, and no man gathereth, gathereth them. Just consider. Here we are. Any, think of any country. Who is some of the people? Probably uh, not so much looked down upon, but, but not really considered that great. Okay, when you stop and think about it, well, it's your farmers. You go to the grocery store and you buy your food. Do we thank our farmers? Do we send them a note thanking them for, you know, working those long, hard hours out in the dust and in the dirt, praying for rain and then praying for the rain to quit when it rains too much? You know, and, and of all people, who gets taxed more? Probably the farmers get taxed in some way, manner, or shape more than anybody else. And yes, they're your kind of your first line of defense out in the country. But guess what? If these people come along and oh, we 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 won't 
bother you. We want to pay for your sheep so we have food to eat. You know, are they going to run off to the city and warn that this army's coming? No, they're not going to do it. Instead, they're going to take the money and go the other way so they can set up their, their farms in other places, maybe. Verse 19, as we end this, this discourse, there is no healing of thy bruise. You know, I, I read that, and being diabetic, I'm reminded of our, our dear brother that died here at camp, uh, Bill Bradford, many years ago. He was from the Miami area. Dear, dear brother, severely diabetic and had to have his leg amputated because of it. Uh, he, during Hurricane Andrew, he was out inspecting homes and stepped on a nail, just a tiny little nail went through his shoe. And you know, I think it was 12 to 15 years later, that thing had still not healed and finally had gone gangrenous so he had to have his leg amputated. There's no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. All that bear the brute of thee shall clap the hands over thee. For upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually? Just, just stop and think. You know, uh, it, with joy, people out, out in the outlying areas, those that had been conquered, they're seeing Nineveh conquered and laid waste. Wow, of course we're going to clap, right? Yay! Glad it's over with, this, this oppression. And uh, Nahum himself ends at this point. But just as a reminder, uh, and go back to one of the other handouts that I gave you, it, it explains that uh, I'm reading partway down where it says the Assyrian capital city of Nineveh was captured and destroyed by the combined forces of Media and Babylonia. And keep in mind, Babylonia was one of the areas taken over by the Assyrians in 612 BC, which is accordingly the latest possible date for Nahum. The prophet's vivid description of the catastrophe that had befallen Thebes leaves the impression that the event was still fresh in the memory of the people, whereas a serious power, although waning, was not yet near its end. So we see that in 612, Nineveh was destroyed. And it, it wasn't until the... Um, if memory serves me correctly, it wasn't until just before uh, the civil, our civil war here in the United States that uh, a French archeologist kind of, he was looking out over the land and he sees these humps. You know, they could have been hills, could have been something else, but he's looking at it and they just don't look like normal hills, and so he starts digging in. So for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, Nineveh was completely hidden under its own destruction and sand. Does God mean what he says? 
Absolutely. Anybody else got anything they want to add to that? Ralph, I would just say it's Steve again. I would just uh, I read something about uh, that Nineveh basically has not been in existence for some 2,600 years now, and they've been doing archaeological excavations there for for many many years. But basically, it's just been covered up by dust, and for the longest time, apparently, there were those quote unquote experts that believed that what's in the Bible about Nineveh and so forth was just a myth. But as they've uncovered more and more, they prove more and more that the Bible is exactly correct. The other thing that I thought about is uh, <clears throat> what we what you what we read there in verse nineteen, uh, and and just about the the people as you said clapping their hands, you know, in in joy and glee, if as you uh, you might say, at the destruction. Of Nineveh, and I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, I know there's a couple of Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 28, 28 says, when the wicked rise, men hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. And 29, 2 says, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked man rules, people groan. And uh, I think we can identify with that even in our day and age. Most definitely. You know, I, I might just add that um, I used, uh, I had to speak the other day, well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I used Nahum as a kind of a takeoff, but I also went on to Revelation. You know, when God says judgment is coming, he means it. Uh, Revelation 19.6 says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. To her is granted, that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. The fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And it goes on and on. You know, we're looking forward to that time, and yet there's a time of great judgment. In chapter 20, and I saw verse 11, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. You know, and uh, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whoever, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God has passed judgment on this world, but he is so patient, long-suffering, waiting 
for those that, that will turn to him to do so before he finally passes judgment on it. May we, we that are believers have already accepted the warning. May we pass that warning on to those around us. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I want to go back to, you see almost uh, in chapter one, verse nine, where the Lord, when it asks, what do you imagine against the Lord? And the Lord said, he will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. And you see, we get to chapter three, where the Lord, as it were, fulfilled that promise. He made an utter end of them, of Nineveh and their pomp and their pride, and that the affliction that they used to, to afflict on Israel and his people, it will not happen a second time because he's going to deal with them once and for all. And it seems like he has done that here, as mentioned in chapter 3. It also goes to tell us that you know, pride cometh before a fall and a haughty uh, spirit before destruction. And we see this time and time again. You know, when man gets a little bit beyond himself, he gets high and mighty, think he's all that, and he tends to forget who the creator is and who God is. And Nineveh is a perfect example of that. And that can apply to all of us individually and collectively, as we've seen when we're studying the churches in the first three chapters. So here that same idea, the same principle of... Um, that high-mindedness, you're strong and you're mighty and you're powerful, but we must forget that there is one that is mighty and greater than you. But the whole idea that he will make an utter end of them has happened, and their affliction that they used to induce will never happen again, because God is going to uh, deal with them. He does his uh, reckoning in his own good time. He says, judgment is mine, say it, the Lord, I will repay. And indeed, if we don't repent, as they, well, they did, they did repent once and then turn away and got worse. But here we go. The Lord is going to take care of them once and for all, which he did, as you uh, clearly showed us in chapter three. Definitely. Yeah. Anything else? <laughs> 